Hi. If you're anything like me, you probably sometimes want to know where my shirt is. Maybe that information was mentioned in a podcast somewhere, but how are you going to find it? Are you going to personally watch all the episodes of the Integral Stage and all the adjacent meta community podcasts hoping to stumble on the information? Don't be stupid, stupid. That's too long of time. How would you even know you're checking the right podcasts? Instead, go to the Apple App Store on the internets and get Fathom.fm. Fathom.fm is a meta-podcast platform that not only figures out which podcasts you should be listening to, but which parts of those podcasts contain the answers to the questions you're interested in. Fathom.fm is making podcasts searchable, instantly chapterizable, and transcribable, and training up teams of suspiciously intelligent AIs to do the work for us. The digital universe is becoming curated by conversations and interfaced with through automated dialogue processes. So if you want to put yourself in the best position for digital synchronicity and distributed sense-making this year, you may have to submit to our robot masters. Ask your doctor if cyborg interfacing is right for you. Fathom.fm. I, I do it. Welcome back to Love the System, an integral stage podcast series dedicated to the various emerging procedures, protocols, platforms, and principles that might plausibly evolve our shared behaviors and tools in a higher, deeper, and more sacredly humane direction. They were joined by James from Iris Co-Creative to tell us about the intuitive, relational, and intersubjective architecture of emergence, the sacred geometry of digitally enabled collaborative interfaces, and also just what the hell Iris Co-Creative is. James, hi, and what the hell is Iris Co-Creative? Hi, well, I really in, <laughs> enjoy the introduction you gave to it. It does, uh, one of the things it stands, stands for is intuitive, relational, and intersubjective, which um, describes the ways we like to work um, and the people we work with. I'm really proud that we exclusively work with folks that are innovating in those dimensions, usually all three of those. And of course, those things are deeply interrelated. But practically, we're a creative studio and we make brands and websites uh, in creative ways with creative people around the world, striving to be as co-creative as possible, as the name suggests. And we get to serve some really interesting, really bright organizations that I just feel incredibly blessed to be able to serve and work with for many years now. How did it get started? What was the inception idea and, and who was there at Ground Zero? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, technically, Iris was just founded last June, and we haven't even done an official launch. Maybe this is it. Uh, letting people know that it's a thing. But for maybe a year and a half, I've been two, maybe two and a half years by now, um, I've had the name Iris in my head and I've started to use it with the previous iteration of the studio Montaya as a kind of internal brand for how we do things. But Montaya itself is, is the fourth or fifth iteration of a studio. I started in, in college in, you know, 2010, the first version was called key design initiative. And our idea was that we would design art and artifacts that unlock things in, in your subconscious, uh, through t-shirts and, you know, laser cut artifacts and, uh, digital interfaces. And I was in architecture school at the time. Um, so it, you know, that was me and, and my dear friend at the time, Ford Bostwick in our house, living together for a summer between semesters, figuring out what to do, driving down to New York city, trying to huck t-shirts on the street, sleeping in central park. But, uh, it's been a long, long journey since then. So as I mentioned, I was in architecture school at the time while in architecture school, I started realizing there was a lot more to the world even than I could learn at my university, uh, even through architecture, which was a super wide lens. And I became more interested in integral and meditation and consciousness and 
all kinds of different philosophies and realized I didn't want to work for some company and I'd rather work for myself and I'd rather be really picky about the kinds of people that I get to work with because I know I'd be learning a ton from them and, and those interactions would shape me and transform me. So I realized people needed websites and brands and marketing materials and things like that. And I started going to IONS conferences on the West Coast and science and non-duality and, and integral, of course, and uh, moved out to the Bay Area and just tried to surround myself with as, as many conscious, creative, interesting folks as possible. And through that, over the years, you know, different iterations of this studio has evolved with uh, different partners and slightly different intentions. Um, but there's always been this desire for collaboration and co-creation. I've never wanted to do it alone. And um, I've always wanted to be in service to, to the projects I most believe in. So this, uh, the, the overlapping set of communities that tend to listen to this podcast, they're full of initiatives. <laughs> they're trying to set up networks. They're trying to create events. They're trying to start businesses. They're trying to launch platforms. What is it that they would be facing that they should think about Iris for? Like when does somebody know they might need Iris? What problems are they facing that should alert them to that fact? <laughs> <laughs> well, our, our bread and butter right now, what we're most set up for to deliver is really high quality web flow websites. And we're able to do that at really competitive rates for what we deliver. And most of the time that also includes branding and the brand journey is a whole thing in itself. And that's, one of my favorite aspects of what we do, getting to dive deep with folks into the essence of what they're bringing into the world and exploring whatever comes up in that space and using the tools that we have at our fingertips to um, visualize and articulate and, and alchemize those visions. So, you know, that in itself is a reason to come to us for sure. and and when a project has a, a clear, when you're clear that it really wants to be and that it can be, and that it's ready to start coming into the world, that's a good time to come to us and look at, you know, what do we really want it to look like and feel like, and what are the important design considerations in doing that. But when it comes to website building, you know, we, we specialize in serving organizations that are ready to invest in, uh, in making a, a truly unique, truly special digital experience. And a lot of projects just getting started don't need that. You know, they can suffice with a, a landing page or a Squarespace site. You know, all you need is a business card and you need to start putting yourself out there. And uh, we do that, but I can also only make so much time time for that because we're really dialing in our 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 web flow offering and it's just become incredible what we can do in that in that medium we were in wordpress for a long time which is a really fun platform and has all these capabilities but now on webflow i feel liberated uh with with what we can create there and the integrations and the animations and the potential for much more complex um things like web three integrations and stuff like that. So the process of helping a group of people figure out what aesthetic and what interface and what experience and what kind of team they are and want to be sounds fascinating. And it's got to differ for each project and each group of people, but are there some general phases of that process? Like, can you walk us through a little bit of what that journey is like? Yeah, there are definite differences between a group of people that are holding a vision and bringing it through together um, and an individual who has their own private practice or solopreneur endeavor 
or you know there's everything in between where there's an individual that also has team that's bringing them in the differences are 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 countless and and numerous but uh you know there's definitely a pattern i can identify across all projects that goes from idea phase to something's in the noosphere it's on the in the tip of your tongue it's kind of coming in i've been wanting to do this for a while you know we're feeling into what's possible and then the process of moving that into action is like this alchemy and i'd actually love to study it more and talk to others and get their perspective on it but you know what i've mapped out goes from idea to scheduling so when does it actually exist in time uh because it's these things seem to exist in time before they exist in space and and before they exist in time they exist in language they exist in dialogue in conversation we talk about what we're doing even if it's to ourselves or uh to an author that we're reading about you know ideas don't just go from i think i might do this thing that i'm going to jump into it even if i'm alone in it i'm going to talk to my friends i'm going to talk to advisors i'm going to talk to potential clients or customers and the thing has a reality unto itself in that in language the mentor of my parents used to say that intelligence doesn't exist in the mind it exists in conversation it exists in dialogue and i find that to be to be very true that things can exist in in dialogue in these very real ways in similar way to a computer program online or a website but then when it moves into scheduling and we're actually going to put this in time we're going to put a date in the calendar you know we you send me an invite for this interview well actually you sent me a zoom link but i put it in my calendar and and we agreed to meet here it became real you know and until then it had a different kind of reality and now we're here in time and it's uh this is being recorded it's becoming a a new version of the thing it's changing form again and the same is with any endeavor or organization you start to schedule meetings and build agreements and get commitments um and then tangible things start getting built even if it's a like perhaps most businesses these days not very material uh who's making physical products anymore i know a lot of people are but most of the clients i work with are they they're consultants or facilitators or online educators course creators scientists researchers uh they're not baking bread or or building houses but at some point their product becomes real it goes online you can you can buy it you can uh consume it you can engage with it and then you can integrate it into your life and you know that might be the fourth stage the point at which it it reaches the client it reaches the customer it's been designed it's been brought to them uh and then it becomes a part of their life and it, it if it's designed well and it's well intended then it it changes their life in a positive way there's a lot of uh from the little bit of poking around the website i did there's a lot of emphasis on working with the right kind of people being involved in projects and teams that you've sort of vetted for the right sort of intersubjective resonance now that's clearly desirable especially if we're sensitive people with a sense of self-worth as well like you're spending time with these people it should feel good it should be productive for you but is there any reason to think that teams that have that characteristic are more functional in the world you know is it just something we like intersubjectively or do you have a reason to think that teams that have those qualities actually can outperform or accomplish things in a better way i like to think so i might be biased and and hopeful um i've definitely seen evidence for that in my personal experience and and read about evidence of that and you can look at any great team that's ever pulled off anything incredible there's always 
they don't do it without a sense of shared purpose and camaraderie and interbeing with each other. You know, the Beatles weren't great because they were four great musicians that decided to make music together. There was something in the space between them uh, that made them great and their capacity to lean into that and cultivate that was great. You know, in, in science and technology, you can see the same thing in, in groups like Skunk Works. And we like to celebrate the individual in our society and point to Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. And, and yeah, they're great individuals with high capacity and leadership is really important. But these breakthrough innovations came out of teams, came out of teams working together, merging their minds, leaning in collaboratively. My belief is that society and culture and the mainstream narrative hasn't caught up to that. We haven't realized how innovation comes out of that and not the individual, like the Renaissance. You know, it, we talk about the greats, Michelangelo and Leonardo and Donatello and, and the other Ninja Turtles, but really it was this whole scene and and the conditions that enabled it and and you know the climate and everything kind of coming together to birth new possibilities and i think it's mostly taken for granted so i'm really curious like what what are the conditions that create innovation innovation and how can we together see beyond the individual and it's still a big question for me, and I think it will be for the rest of my life. I'm very curious about it myself. Uh, what sorts, if you had to guess, what do you think are, are the conditions or principles or some of them that might help create a scene that has generative magic? Mm -hmm. I like that word, generative magic. Curiosity, you know, off the top of my head, for sure. Interest, suspension of of disbelief, suspension of knowing and needing to know or needing to be right. You know, I think intellect, intelligence, cognitive ability is important, but one factor, uh, emotional intelligence is just as important, but being willing to, to expand beyond those things is even more important to have the different parts of yourself exist in your awareness along with the different parts of the others that you're engaging with um, to become exploded uh, and not just like surrender into some collective goo, but play with idea and impulse and feeling uh, in a in a field of possibility and, and shared meaning. I like that aspect of experiencing yourself and the others as plural beings in some way. Mm -hmm. That seems to be important. Uh, you you highlighted emotional intelligence. What does that mean to you? How would you characterize emotional intelligence? It's hard to say because sometimes I feel really emotionally dumb. And it's, it seems so much more complex than uh, mental intelligence, but empathy is a big part of it. Cultivating spaces of psychological safety, of course, is incredibly important in all of this. And that means being aware of your own experience and your own emotions and being conscious of how you choose to react and and respond to those i think it's one shouldn't cut themselves off from their own emotions in order to lead a process or or start a thing uh but also one can't over prioritize their emotional experience and put it on everyone else and i feel so much happens in the emotional domain beyond words and beyond thought um, I'm always learning in, in partnership, in relationship with my girlfriend. And there's, I like to think things through. I'm a more mental guy and 
you know, often we just need to go to a space or, or feel something together. And it's not about solving a problem or understanding something. It's, it's something else on a subtler level. And it's beautiful. Yeah, it's tricky. You know, what leapt out to me, the first thing that leapt out to me is like a poverty of affect. Like, I wonder if we have enough emotions, you know? Do we just have mm. sort of the, the crayon box they told us about in elementary school? <laughs> like happy, sad, angry, or might it be? It's like a four. A yeah, four exactly. Crayon box. <laughs> How do we get that 64 crayon box? Uh -huh. <laughs> Where are the other emotions I could have? So that was the first mm. thought. Second one I thought was, is this weird balance of like an intelligence that knows when not to feel something like when not to get overloaded and how to take that seriously but also the same intelligence has to be able to dwell in intensities that it might otherwise reject um, mm. dissonance mystery things like that so kind of intelligence that knows how to say well that's too much for me right now but also maybe i can go a little further than i thought i could go on this mm -hmm. totally I used to teach parkour and um, still do once in a while to friends. But for me, it was always all about helping people find their edge, the edge of what they think they can do, and then testing that. Is that, can they do what they think they can do? Can they do a little bit more? Or are they overconfident and they need to reel it in? And just getting in touch with that edge, it automatically moves. and. And then you can always, you know, you, you can do as much as you can do right now if you're in touch with that edge. And if you're not, you're going to get hurt or you're going to fail. And I think it applies to any, any domain, including this emotional one. There's always more to be aware of there. And as we become aware of it, our capacities expand seemingly automatically. Yeah, there's something so beautiful about the liveliness that comes at our edges. I used to, mm. you know, talking about parkour reminded me of a period of my life where I used to take people tree climbing, climbing on cliffs and things like that. And perversely for me, the, the most exciting moment was where somebody got stuck at their edge, where they kept, you mm. kept seeing them, they were going to take this jump and then re-decide and then decide again or they climb somewhere on the cliff and they feel like they can't go forward, but then they realize they can't go back. And in that you see them just come alive. They're just looking in all directions for a pathway in this moment. It was, you could hear them crackle. I always loved that. <laughs> so uh, emotional intelligence is similar, but maybe not the same as intuition. If intuitive is the first eye and iris, how does that play into the process? And what strategies do you use to make your intuition smarter? Mm. It's the first I, I'd say intentionally, but it was an intuitive decision to call it Iris. And then I realized later what it meant. And intuition for me starts at the periphery of the senses and the body. But it also includes the senses in the body, of course. But I, I like to visualize it as a, a field that's just beyond what I can sense and see. I feel like that's helpful for me to become more intuitive. But as, as numerous as there are ways to increase my sensory capacity and my creative capacity there's i feel even more ways to increase our intuitive capacities and we're all intuitive in different ways we can be kinesthetically intuitive synesthetically visually auditorily you know i know people that that hear voices as if they're hearing ours right now telling them to do things or information and yeah it sounds crazy and yeah crazy people have that experience too uh, but a lot of people have this experience of being told things that they should not know, that there's no logical explanation for how they should know that this thing is happening to their family member in that moment, or that this thing is going to happen tomorrow, or that they need to, you know, 
do this thing right now. And they trust it and they develop that capacity. For me, it's very, I'm synesthetic, which is a cross between senses. So uh, some synesthetes, when they hear music, they see color or when they have a strong emotion, they can smell it. For me, it's subtler. It's kind of in the back of my mind, senses mix. So any thought or um, impulse or idea or word or letter, you know, a common synesthetic symptom is these color associations with letters. Um, and I kind of have that to an extreme where these colors, shapes, patterns get associated with thoughts, feelings, concepts, ideas. And that's kind of the ingredients that I use to cultivate my intuitive ability, if that makes any sense. It's really hard for me to explain because it's, it's, <laughs> it's not so literal. But somewhere in the back of my mind or the back of my experience, and it's not even necessarily the back, it could be the front, it could be out there, but it's not like I'm seeing things out here and like, oh, like this should be like that. It's more like a, a colorful feeling that, you know, what if we named this brand this thing? Um, or I'm seeing these come, these things come together in this way, or I'm being drawn into the conversation in this way, or I feel this impulse, purple impulse in my gut to ask about this this thing and then that opens up the next thing uh, and we all have that in one way or another it's like how we function as humans we're not just logical beings that are processing information and coming to logical conclusions we're all feeling and grokking and sensing in all kinds of complex ways to navigate a very complex world and form relationships with each other that are incredibly complex and somehow make it through same and okay and keep building uh on this planet and so i feel like everything starts with that and there's just so much possibility in that domain especially when it comes to relationship and how we connect with each other because we're all so different like i study neurodivergence a lot because i have some neurodivergencies and i find them fascinating but the more I look into it, the more I realize like neurodivergence is the norm. We're all incredibly have different minds with different ways we set up these softwares, different ways that we think and and process and be in the world. And somehow we can still connect and relate and co-create and and form bonds and relationships, not only with people that are just like us, but also more importantly, with people that are different. And it's, I feel, through this in, intuitive membrane that we reach each other. We take these, we, these leaps and we connect despite speaking different languages, especially. And, uh, and I might be jumping ahead in, into the into the relational part of iris uh but that's the heart of it for me that's what i feel like is most important ultimately there's nothing that we're doing here on this planet other than creating relationship with one another and everything else is in service to that and um we're in relationship to our planet, we're in relationship to ourselves, we're in relationship to a sense of cosmos or divinity or spirit or whatever we want to talk about. But it's, it's relational, first and foremost. And even mathematically and scientifically, we can only define anything in relationship to everything else. And so that's, a, for me, a fundamental recognition in all of the work that we do is we're not building things we're not building products we're not building digital architecture we're we're building relationship 
and creating opportunities for connection and relationship. And there's nothing else worth doing here, in my opinion. Hmm. I love the emphasis on relationship. I'm also hearing a lot of, I mean, there's a kind of a, you know, the rational and the intuitive, the multidimensional, strange resonances. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of magic <laughs> to what you're saying. And I'm wondering whether you think that's just your personal temperament or whether you think the digital tools that we're all using are kind of predisposing us to a more shamanic, more kind of a cult universe, right? I mean, we have a mixture of words and symbols and we have these strange interfaces and we have these mandalic webs of connection now. Do you think there's something about the technological ecosystem that's making magic more of a salient metaphor than it might have been a while back? Mm, 100%. I've got goosebumps because I've never thought about that. But yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, it's a magic universe. And the more we work with the materials available to us, the more magic we can find in it and and pull out of it. And if we were talking, you know, 500, 1,000 years ago, and we're working with stone and wood and mud and, and clay, I might say the same thing because those things are magic too. And it's magic how we can build spaces that create transcendent experience and facilitate life and living and learning. But these days, it's true to the extreme where the technologies we have at our fingertips are so powerful and evolving so fast. Uh, and they're so interconnected and connected to so many people at the same time around the planet. I feel like they're uh, emphasizing and, and bringing out our interconnected nature and the powerful nature of, of our universe. Uh, and and what's possible here. And it's only becoming more and more true. And it's so tangible now with like MidJourney and, and ChatGPT and things like that, where I can magically tell something to make me a picture, whatever I'm thinking, and it gives it to me. You know, 10 years ago, I could spend a few days in Photoshop and, you know, make whatever and show it to somebody and it, and it looks like magic to them, but doesn't feel like magic to me. Because I, you know, spent all this time making this thing. Uh, but it's still magic. You know, that wasn't possible 30 years before. It's magic by any definition. And, you know, what excites me about magic is its, it's realness. It's not really magic. We just don't understand it. But that's magic. That so much can happen in our world that, that we don't understand. But there's, you know, logic and, and processes and physics behind it. Um, but these days there's, you know, I don't know how many million, billion transformations and processes that are working at once to create these kinds of tools. I had uh, Buckminster Fuller pop into my mind. So I'm thinking of, you know, there's, principles we associate with him, tensegrity and synergy and these sort of uh, terms he introduced into a popular discourse. And the way he thinks about organizing the tension points in a structure, to me, seems very similar to the way integrative philosophy tries to organize values, right? The thing that makes integrative vision different than pluralistic vision is it's not just a bunch of different contexts. It's a bunch of contexts efficiently, resonantly organized together to create something more. And it makes me curious about um, how you've thought about the complementarity between architecture and philosophy, between your two areas you've been interested in your life. Do you see common principles between the, the theory space and the building space? I could try to find you this diagram I made while still in school, which is this very complex Buckminster Fuller and uh, 
map where I tried to overlay philosophy and alchemy and science and math and architecture and creativity and, and consciousness under one big thing. And I was like, oh, I got it. It's this thing. And it, it's been uh, uh, a long life of conversations with models like that. And, and at this point, I feel like the reality is is simultaneously much simpler and and much more complex and also ever changing where there are these beautiful overlays that we can call out and metaphors that we can use and they're only so helpful in so many contexts i love the the idea of tensegrity and the simple idea of tension and, and compression. And in a way, we could look at anything from psychology to philosophy to cultural evolution to design as being made up of parts that are in either tension or compressive states that form any structure. And that could be a helpful tool and, and metaphor, but it could also not be helpful at all. Uh, and um, and could be could be incorrect, but I'm you know as a huge I still play with Legos and uh, uh, building something last night and still play with making things in in three D uh, physically and more often digitally, and I think it's a a hugely beneficial process for anyone um, to engage in our 3D world and just understand shape like platonic solid and build these connections in our mind, even just like draw triangles or like use a compass to make a hexagon on a piece of paper um, because these are fundamental principles of our mathematical, physical universe um, there's no, there's no way in which they're not also present at every other level and layer of reality. It just doesn't mean that they're, they're the rule or they're what is, or they're how things work. I love sacred geometry as a contemplative device. You know, they have this, uh, those like the shapes you were holding up, the platonic solids and the other kinds of uh, mm, sophisticated enough geometries that they don't give us that feeling of simplicity, like, oh, I already know what that is. <laughs> That's a triangle. But they don't take us into the total computational complexity of the universe. They show you some shape where you're like, I feel like I basically get it, but also it keeps exceeding my ability to comprehend it. I mean, that's kind of a, an ideal contemplative object. You can just hold mm -hmm. your focus, uh, always giving you something, but never completing itself. Mm. I like that. Yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, the communities that I'm dealing with, that we're dealing with. There's a ton of people interested in new technological tools, platforms, interfaces, uh, new ways of living, new ways of organizing, but also that's a difficult mode of thinking for a lot of other people, uh, maybe mm. for everyone, right? It seems like how we how we feel in relationship and what our inner practice is and what our physical object space is like, we can get a handle on that pretty well. But when it comes to thinking about how things are interacting and how that's generating different effects, that for a lot of us, that's uh, it just goes blank when we try to think about it. Like, how should the economy be? How should politics be? How should we vote? How should we build things? How should we process decision-making together? What do you think might make it easier for people to see into patterning space? <laughs> Simply what I just said. 
you know, playing with shapes is what I would advocate for. But I, I'm also really shape-oriented, and I know a lot of people aren't. It might be playing with mud um, or playing with paint, um, but play, I think, is really crucial in this time. Play also helps us not be afraid if we can be playful in the ways that we're thinking about and engaging with all of this change, new technologies and new perspectives, um, then we can not be so afraid and, uh, and find our way through. And um, there are patterns like the exponential nature of the evolution of technology, which I find solace in, but I see folks that are that don't understand that as well, being afraid of it because they see things around them changing so fast and they're surprised. But I'm like, I've been seeing this for a long time. Like so many of these things are, are inevitable and there's other inevitable things that we can see and talk about and plan for right now if we can just understand exponential growth curves, which are really simple, but until you can just play with them and even plug some numbers into a simple model, they're not tangible. And unfortunately, I think our education system is not set up to teach us the right things and is perhaps set up to teach us the wrong thing. Um, like, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because yeah. it seems like you've had some success in playing with these systems. Mm. Um, you know, did the educational system, were there places within it that helped you have that experience or did you largely have that experience outside of or apart from the educational systems you went through? I was really lucky. I was really privileged. I went to a Montessori school in preschool through kindergarten and then a Quaker school, first grade through 12th grade and then architecture school in college. And all of those spaces gave me incredible tools and incredible freedom and encouragement to explore them um, in positive environment. And I feel so lucky to have that and and most people in this country do not, don't get much of that. And I, mean, I was also privileged to have that at home and have space and freedom and toys and encouragement to explore and read at my own pace, more or less, and, and my own way. And, and, you know, of course I can look back retrospectively and, and, and wish that I had more of this or more of that or less pressure or less, you know, testing and, and metrics or hoops I needed to jump through at different ages. But yeah, I feel really lucky for what I got and I really advocate for, for more of that. Um, and I think that there's so much more to learn about how to, how to, educate ourselves and young humans and what actually works well i don't think any one one model is the right one um, and maybe i'm biased because i i grew up in montessori and that's and the you know major premise of that is to just like have toys and things around and let let kids engage them as they want and i still all for that maybe only because i had it uh but i i imagine that there's something about human nature that if we have these possibilities around us that will take them and too often at any stage of life um folks aren't given or aren't given the chance to see the opportunities and the possibilities around them for learning, for growth, for wealth creation, for whatever relationship. 
What's um, exciting you out on the horizon? What's what's Iris look like five years from now? Or what other sorts of projects are you feeling might be next or you know, in the midterm? <laughs> I think of two things. One, I really want to keep developing our internal functioning as a team in the domain of co-learning and peer-to-peer coaching and our internal cultural and experience. We're a loose collective of contractors, freelancers around the world coming together to work on, on different projects. And I really love that model because Everybody also has things outside of Iris that they're learning from and getting to bring what they learn in Iris into that. And it's a symbiotic relationship. But I'm really excited about continuing to build our internal culture in a way where we can teach each other and learn together and offer each other coaching and support in what we're doing in Iris and also in what we're each doing in our own businesses as entrepreneurs. And that really excites me. We're just starting to roll some new things out this year for our own team. And I really want folks to take more advantage of that. And because uh, I just think there's so much potential, even though it's remote and, and distributed, I believe in our own culture and community. And then the second thing is our, our culture and community that we're having with other organizations and are teaming up and collaborating um, with other teams and meshworks and meshworks to design and, and define dynamic ways to interoperate and collaborate. And I feel five years from now, also utilizing the technologies that are becoming available now and will continue to roll out over the next five years, I feel like we'll be able to transcend traditional organizational structures to the point where we are interoperating as an integral part of super organisms that are constantly self-assembling and disassembling for different purposes, the likes of which we can't even uh, imagine at present. I think things are going to continue to radically change on this planet at increasing rates, hopefully, because hopefully because I feel like the alternative is some or more cataclysmic events that slow everything down like COVID did. And I, I want us all to be able to ride that wave and keep learning, leaning in and learning in. Uh, teaming up in bigger and bigger ways to solve bigger and bigger problems and uh, co-create bigger and bigger villages and uh, communities and possibilities. So if relationship is the most important thing and maybe the thing if handled correctly that staves off the apocalypse how do you and i go a stage deeper i mean having this conversation already establishes more relationship between us but what could we do what would be the next step for us to strengthen the relationship that we have nascently begun to develop hmm. well i love meeting up in person hmm. you know there's a lot that can happen online but actually sharing space getting to be up on a wall and freak out you know or uh, be in a vulnerable place be in a new experience um, in addition to iris i also facilitate co-facilitate co-living community retreats and the the connection and, and relationship that i've seen form in those spaces is really remarkable um, and at this point, it's always such a treat to get to meet up with anybody that I know online in person. It always takes things to the next level, no matter what. 
I've had folks that I've worked with for years and then finally get to meet them. And it's like, you get to see what you already sensed and, and knew about the person, but also what you can't through this little window um, of pixels. That's one thing. Um, another thing is creating something together, even small. Bringing a project from start to finish builds trust and uh, a shared sense of purpose and a shared sense of capacity. And um, who are we on this planet? I'm not my name, I'm not my identity. I don't even know what I am, but it seemed to be some assembly of, of capacities and awarenesses. And I don't even know what they are, but through co-creation, and engagement, we get a deeper sense of that, of each other, and also through that of ourselves. You know, hopefully in, in relationship, a big part of it is getting to see yourself as a mirror in the other. And, and uh, you would see things in me, I already feel like you are seeing things in me that, that, that others don't, that I now get to see and appreciate. And, and I would hope that I would get to do that for you too. Well, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be alert if there's a, to see if there's a project we could coordinate on. And I would love to uh, be in a vulnerable physical space with you. <laughs> <laughs> this has been, I think, a great introduction to, to Iris, to your projects, to you and uh I hope everyone else appreciates it as much as I do. Mm. Thanks, James. Thank you, Layman. This, I feel really um, met and seen and uh, grateful for this opportunity to share and, and explore these important things. <laughs>